This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 44 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host and avid reader, Kathy Buckworth. Thanks for joining me for another fun and fact-filled half hour for things that grandparents want and need to know about. Do you have a library card? I do, and I use it weekly. Okay, true confession, I have two library cards. One for Mississauga, where I mostly live, and one for the Meaford Library, where my cottage is located. I can't get enough of free books. Free books! I read voraciously, and I also listen to books on occasion when I go for long walks. I can thank Kobo Audiobooks for that. It really takes you out of everything that's going on in the world. I usually read fiction, but occasionally nonfiction books really grab me, as do the two that I'm talking about today. The geek reader in me is, well, geeking out today. I'm sure my two guests have better words than I do for that. They are both accomplished wordsmiths, journalistically and authorship-wise. First up, we have Rona Maynard. Rona is the former editor of Chatelaine Magazine and the author of My Mother's Daughter, which we are going to talk about today a deeply personal account of her relationship with her mother and how her mother felt Rona wasn't a great mother due to her commitment to her job. A grandma herself now will get into a conversation around those fraught relationships and talk about the new book she's working on. Right after Rona, we have Lyndon McIntyre and his book, The Wake, the fascinating account of a tsunami which struck Newfoundland in 1929 and the profound impact it had on the community and his family. I talked to the Scotiabank Giller Prize winning author and granddad about the book and how the lingering impact of this disaster affected the area for generations to come. Maybe you're planning on taking a book or two on a summer trip to the U.S. Or maybe you're thinking it's more than just a vacation and you're looking at purchasing a home down there. Our Take 5 with RBC series today features Alain Forger from RBC, who will tell us how we can avoid the traps and pitfalls of U.S. real estate. More facts than fun today, but I know you'll enjoy listening to my impressive lineup of guests as you perk your coffee or yourself up to join me for the next half hour. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Rona Maynard is up first. Rona Maynard overcame chronic depression to win her dream job as editor at Chatelaine. Her truth-telling editorials were carried in wallets and taped to fridge doors. When Rona stepped down from the job she had loved, she discovered there's a lot more to life than work. She wrote an acclaimed memoir, My Mother's Daughter. She and her husband took off on an art road trip across the U.S., 49 museums in five weeks. Married for more than 50 years, they have a son and two grandsons. At 65, they adopted a dog Rona didn't think she wanted. He inspired her next book, Starter Dog, coming next spring from ECW Press. Good morning, Rona. Thank you so much for being on Go To Grandma this morning. My pleasure. So, Rona, you wrote this book called My Mother's Daughter. It's a highly personal account of your relationship with your mother and, and of your life. You actually wrote it in 2007, you know, well, after your mom had died. And I just wanted to read the first sentence of your book because this is the way you start a book, okay? <laughs> this sentence is quite something. My mother gave birth to me twice. The first time is a matter of record. The second, almost 40 years later, took place at her deathbed. Wow, that's quite something, that sentence there. Well, you know, that was the only beginning to anything that I've written in my whole life that came easily to me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I suddenly was seized by this insight that 
when your mother dies, you are, in a sense, reborn as a sadder yet enriched person. You decide how you're going to carry with you the legacy of your mother, and you no longer are standing in the shadow of what your mother did and what your mother thought. When we're growing up, we tend to see our parents as these larger-than-life figures, Mm -hmm. almost godlike figures. And a little of that follows us into adult life. Our mothers are the ones who taught us, for better, worse, and in between, what it means to be a woman in this world. Mm -hmm. So when mother's gone, you sit at the head of your own table. Yeah, it's so true. You know, you talk in the book, of course, about some of the, you know, more challenging times that you had with your mother. I know you indicated she was quite a critic of your own mothering style. She thought that you cared too much about your career, not enough about raising your son, and maybe that you were a neglectful mother. So that's, you know, a fairly harsh judgment. But do you find it's possible to sort of miss your mother and have a better life without her at the same time? Yes. Absolutely. You know, there are so many times when I wish I could call her, Mm -hmm. and I still remember her phone number, (laughs) to say, I've just read this wonderful book, and I know you would love it. Or, guess what I just saw on the street today? My mother loved funny or startling anecdotes about everyday life. She liked to tell them. She liked to hear them. And that is gone for good. I, You know, I keep seeing things that I would like to buy for her. And I wish I had asked her before she died where she bought her chickens. <laughs> she was famous for her roasted fowl. She did the best roast capons and chickens anywhere. And there was one stall in St. Lawrence Market that she used to swear by, and she insisted none of the others were so good. Now, it's been a long time since my mother died, and quite Mm -hmm. possibly that stall has changed over. But, you know, it still bothers me. So, (laughs) yes, I do miss her, and yet I could not have written the book that you just read while she was alive. In a very real sense, I could not speak in my own voice while she was alive because I was always thinking, well, what's her take on it? What What is she right. going to think? And my mother did watch over everything that I wrote. She called me once about something that I had written, and the first thing she said was, there's a grammatical mistake in the first paragraph. <laughs> oh, Mom. <laughs> not every daughter has a mother who cares about grammar. But, you know, there are going to be different things. So let's say your mother was deeply into fashion, and she followed fashion rules, and she sees you wearing white pants in the middle of September. Well, she might think that was a no-no. After she's gone, you just wear whatever you want. And the thought of what she would think is something you can more easily push aside. Yeah, and you talk about not being able to use your own voice in this book until she had passed, but, you know, you hear your mother's voice in your head all the time. I think a lot of us do, especially daughters. Why do you think this is so common? 
It's because we grow up with it, and it just becomes embedded. And I know that I have taken attitudes in my marriage that are like hand-me-downs from my mother. And I will say things, and my husband will point out, is that, is that your mother speaking? <laughs> oh, my, mother used, my mother used to be fanatically frugal. She was the child of the Depression. And she would resort to all these false economies. You know, she'd drive out of her way to save a few cents and a can of tuna. And I've got my own equivalents of that. But they're occupying a much smaller place in my life now. And I don't have this running commentary in my head now from my mother. I've heard a lot of women say that they have that. And, and they're going about their day and they can, they can hear what she's thinking. Because the, the force of her personality was so strong. Mm-hmm. Well, I recommend this book to anyone who sort of has, well, anyone who, you know, is, is dealing with their mother, maybe a difficult relationship, a grandmother, a daughter. I really enjoyed it, Rona. And I'm really looking forward to your next book called Starter Dog, which is coming out next spring. So we can look forward to that as well. I hate to cut our interview short because there's so much more I could talk to you about on this, but I'm going to, and I'm going to recommend that everybody goes out and gets your book, My Mother's Daughter, looks out for your new one, Starter Dog, and we can find you on social media at ronamaynard.com or on Facebook or Instagram, all of those places. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're most welcome. Lyndon McIntyre is a Canadian journalist, broadcaster, and novelist. He has won 10 Gemini Awards, an International Emmy, and numerous other awards for writing and journalistic excellence, including the 2009 Scotiabangular Prize for his 2009 novel, The Bishop's Man. Well known for many years for his stories on CBC's The Fifth Estate. In 2014, he announced his retirement from the show at age 71. His final story, broadcast on November 21st, 2014, was The Interrogation Room about police ethics and improper interrogation room tactics. On November 18th, 1929, a tsunami struck Newfoundland's Buren Peninsula. Giant waves up to three stories high hit the coast at 100 kilometers per hour, flooding dozens of communities and washing entire houses out to sea. The most destructive earthquake-related event in Newfoundland's history, the disaster killed 28 people and left hundreds more homeless or destitute. It took days for the outside world to find out about the death and damage caused by the tsunami, which forever changed the lives of the inhabitants of the fishing outports along the Burren Peninsula. Lyndon was born near St. Lawrence, Newfoundland, one of the villages virtually destroyed by the tsunami. By the time of his birth, the cod fishing industry lay in ruins and the village had become a mining town. Lyndon's father, lured from Cape Breton to Newfoundland by a steady salary, worked in the St. Lawrence in an underground mine that was later found to be radioactive. Hundreds of miners would die. Hundreds more would struggle through shortened lives profoundly compromised by lung diseases ranging from silicosis and bronchitis to cancer. As Lyndon says, though the tsunami killed 28 people in 1929, it would claim hundreds, if not thousands more, in the decades to follow. And by the time the village returned to its roots and set up as a cod fishery once again, the stocks in the Grand Banks had plummeted, and St. Lawrence found itself once again on the brink of disaster. Written in Lyndon's trademark style, The Wake is a major work by one of the country's top writers. 
Good morning, Lyndon McIntyre. Thanks for coming on this show today. I'm so excited to talk to you about your book, The Wake. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here talking about it because, uh, you know, you've looked at the book. It's obviously a personal story, and it's close to the a large part of my life. Yeah, and I love that aspect of it, Lyndon. I listened to it on audiobook, and I have to tell you, I kept extending my walk so I could get the whole book in. And I love the fact that it sort of mapped together a very important piece of Canadian history, but also your personal family connection to it. So I have to ask you, why did you want to document this? Why was this so important to you to get out into the world? Well, I think that uh, you put your finger on it when you said it's an important part of Canadian history. And like many important parts of Canadian history, it, it was sort of overlooked or underreported over time. Especially, and my perception of it, because of, of, a, of a family connection and a, and a personal interest, was that there was a continuum that started with a tsunami, earthquake tsunami, and it continued for much longer than the weeks of uh, the aftermath of, of the tsunami. This, this set in motion a series of developments that arose out of the necessity and, and the crisis caused by the tsunami that caused uh, hardship and heartache for a lot of people in that area for decades afterwards, right up into and including uh, my arrival on this earth. You know, what I loved about it, too, is sort of the paradox of when world events happen today, we know about them instantly, almost before they happen, right, with social media and the news. And back then, it took a long time for people to even know that this had happened. Well, I guess I'm old enough to remember when that's the way the world was. It took a little while for news to come down a factual way. And in this particular case, there was this horrifying uh, tsunami. Uh, it wiped out a, 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 about a 30 or 40-mile stretch of southern Newfoundland coastline involving about 40 communities. And uh, it just happened uh, coincidentally on the weekend or on, on the beginning of the week after there had been a large storm that knocked down the one land link, uh, communications land link between that region and the capital of the province or what it was, the colony at the time. And so... It took days before anybody outside of that immediate region really knew what had happened there. Everybody knew there was an earthquake. Everybody knew there was a tsunami. But in, in, in the central population area, people were kind of like saying, wow, that was, isn't it great that we escaped that uh, <laughs> potential disaster? Not, not realizing that just right. 100 miles away, they hadn't escaped it at all. So had you told this story in the past, how much did you know about it before you really started researching it for the book? Well, I didn't know very much, actually. Uh, you know, I, I knew that there had been what they called a, a tidal wave. I knew that, there, you know, I've heard my mother and my grandmother talking about earthquake. And it was all kind of like mixed in with all the little fairy tales and folk tales yeah. that we hear as children. One of the things that intrigued me as, as I was growing up, my father was away a lot. He was an itinerant hard rock miner, which is why he was down on the south coast of Newfoundland when I was born. But, you know, the stories of the, you know, the earthquake and the tsunami, they kind of, in my memory, fold in with, you know, all the little childhood tales you hear, some of which are fairy tales and folk tales. But I often, I was not impressed by the fact that when my mother and father talked about their early days of marriage and 
having children in, in this place in Newfoundland, they were always talking about the, the great friends they met there, but they were always talking about women friends. Mm. And it was much later in my life I understood that the only people who had survived from their early relationships were the women. Oh, wow. Because men friends had died. And, uh, and it was the mid-80s when I was on a, a story working for the CBC. I was in Newfoundland on, on a story, and I talked. I was in the area where, where they were and where I was born, and I, and I went to see my godmother, who was still alive. And I, I knew that her brother had been my godfather. And I said, I was thinking, you know, how come I've been in touch with her all my life, but I've never heard anything about or from him other than the fact and I said, whatever happened to your brother Alonzo, who was my godfather? And she says, oh, my darling, this is where they talk. <laughs> my darling, you've got to go over to the cemetery. You right. You're going to visit your godfather. So we went over to the cemetery, and not only was he there, but his two brothers were there. And they were all fairly young men. And then I realized, when I was looking at his tombstone, and I saw the date of his death, I realized my father had died approximately the same time at approximately the same age. Hmm. And I suddenly realized, you know, a whole lot of things then kind of clicked into a sequence that added up in my mind as, as a story that had never really been told. A story that links the earthquake, the tsunami, to the mining tragedy that claimed the lives of so many young and middle-aged men in that area over a very long period of time. Now, my father worked there off and on four or five times over the years, but he worked in a lot of really primitive hard rock mines across mm. the country for a whole lot of complicated reasons, one of which was he had no formal, uh, you know, recorded education because of childhood circumstances. But So he worked in places where they didn't care whether you had degrees or certificates or anything. And so he could have picked up the, you know, the conditions that killed him in many places. But Newfoundland sure didn't help because of, well, anybody who reads the book will read about the, the, the working conditions there. Yeah, I learned a lot about that as well. And, and certainly I had not uh, known this part of Newfoundland's history. Were your kids and maybe now your grandkids, were they aware of this? Or have they read the book? Oh, my children are aware. They read the book. They're sort of like I was. I mean, they're more aware now. They never, my kids mm -hmm. never really knew their grandfather because he died at the age of 50 right. from, uh, you know, industrial illnesses. And uh, and so I don't know. Like, I didn't really write it for plus. I just I just wrote it down because I thought it was one heck of a story that has <laughs> a lot of relevance in the modern world because of the ongoing exploitation of certain people who work for a living. And, uh, and in the mining industry, not so much in Canada anymore, but around the world, and, uh, where, where largely Canadian enterprises work in the absence of health and safety standards, in the absence of oversight, you have a lot of the same conditions and circumstances going on today and a lot of the same consequences. We do. And the book is so relevant to today. And I loved it so much, Lyndon. And if we want to find it, we certainly can find it in Kobo Originals. We can find it pretty much anywhere. It's called The Wake. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for your time today, Lyndon. I truly love talking with you about it. Oh, thank you for the interest. Now, I hope we've sparked a little bit more interest because it's a great story and it's an important story of Canadian history. It certainly is. Thanks again, Lyndon. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. 
Elaine Forget has been working for Royal Bank Financial Group for over 42 years with sales leadership roles in Canada, the Caribbean, and the US. He is passionate about helping Canadians purchase US homes and works closely with consumers, real estate professionals, and partners to assist Canadian buyers in the US. Alain is a licensed real estate agent in Florida and has his NAR CIPS designation, a certified international property specialist. Welcome back Alain, and great to hear you have some tips and advice for our audience regarding US real estate. As we know, many Canadians own US properties for investment and personal use, and we have talked in the past about how RBC Bank can help them with that purchase. So what are the updates for today? Yes, Kathy, and it's great to, to chat with you again today. And you are right. Over the past months, we have continued to help Canadian that Canadians navigate the differences between Canada and the US to realize their dreams of a US home away from home. And it's really important to understand that rules, laws, regulations, business practices and even terminology are all different in US real estate. So doing a little bit a little bit of homework and consulting trusted professional advice can ensure all goes smoothly. Well that makes sense Elaine. So what are the most important areas for homework and for getting professional advice? Yes, in my experience there are three areas in which cross border advice is key to avoid common mistakes and of course that can cause edX and cost money. So the first is financing of their home and while the US resembles the Canadian system There are many differences throughout this journey if you are not prepared. For example, you need to be aware of how the US and Canadian exchange rate will affect your purchase. Obviously, Canadian dollar will be reduced value on conversion to US, but equally important is the process of bringing funds over the border and different strategies to mitigate the exchange impact. You also need to be aware of how the US lenders will qualify you for a mortgage that may be other to qualify based on Canadian asset and credit history. And finally, the mortgage approval process as it they it can take a lot longer and has different steps. Another important area to consider is a real estate agent and one that understands the cross-border implications. A good agent with cross-border experience can also connect you to property management if needed and of course local knowledge and experience. And finally, thirdly, but most importantly, legal and tax considerations for cross-border purchases is critical. Getting the professional advice applies to not just buying but also to owning, renting out and selling the property in the US. And this will include not just legal advice but also tax advice to avoid unnecessary taxes. Okay, wow. There's a lot to consider for anyone considering their retirement dream spot. But I also know you have some suggestions on how RBC Bank can assist. Certainly and well for over 18 years now RBC Bank has specialized in working with Canadians and has helped clients make the journey from dream to doorstep as convenient as possible. And with the RBC Bank Home Plus Advantage program, Canadians have access to qualified financial, real estate, legal and tax professionals who are trained and experienced to work with Canadians. We also offer mortgage financing to Canadians and can qualify you based on your Canadian career story and income with mortgage terms designed to be familiar to all owning Canadians and everything i have shared can be found at rbcbank.com/hpa back to you guys i love from dream to doorstop i love that's a great way to put it and thank you so much for being a part again in our take 5 with rbc series it's always a pleasure speaking with you elaine i always learn so much 
<laughs> Thank you, Kathy. Always <laughs> a pleasure to meet you. Okay, take care. Thanks. What's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? I don't know. Go ask your grandmother. I thought this was funny when I posted it, but my daughter just said, wow, mom. The relationships we have with our daughters, our mothers, and our grandmothers are unique and often feature lows and highs. I want to thank Rona for sharing her words and her thoughts on the subject today. Words are something that Lyndon McIntyre has a way with as well, and I'd like to thank Kobo for his interview today. As with The Wake, the Kobo Originals program offers readers exclusive original ebook and audiobook content. Rakuten Kobo works closely with industry partners to find great titles to make available in digital format to Kobo customers like me. I hope you found some valuable nuggets of knowledge in our Take 5 with RBC segment on potentially purchasing real estate in the U.S. Next week is a good one. First up, we honor fathers for Father's Day, and I get the chance to speak with Rob Whitehead, possibly better known as radio icon Aaron Davis's other half. I won't say better, because really these two are the best together. Rob's going to tell us about being a stay-at-home dad to their only daughter, Lauren, who sadly passed away several years ago. We get into his granddad role and what being a stay-at-home dad taught him about this important job. Aaron's going to chime in as well. June is both Pride Month and National Indigenous History Month. Both are very important milestones for RBC to honour. Our extended Take 5 with RBC segment will tell a story of RBC and Inuit artist Glenn Gear's partnership in artwork, featuring the most recent collaboration of Glenn's artwork at the RBC Plaza Gallery and the RBC Pride t-shirt. I know, I know, I shouldn't really say a very special episode about every single episode of Go To Grandma, but it's hard not to. I hope you'll tune in next week. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.